Hey there, welcome to the Mint Measure podcast, where we cover everything related to attribution, incrementality, and marketing analytics. Here we go. Look, we've all been there. You see an opportunity to try something new, to like get your client to level up their thinking or fix something that's broken, but clients can be really tough to manage and to persuade. And so, you know, today's session is intended to be a guide for how you can level up your client's thinking um, in kind of a process that I've used throughout my career. I spent 10 years doing performance marketing and media planning and convincing clients that they need to do a new thing or add a new channel or, you know, it's kind of like at the early days of programmatic, right? No one believed in programmatic. What? You're going to computers buy ads? And, <laughs> you know, so uh, learned a few things along the way um, about how to do that. And so, yeah, my hope is that you guys will be able to take this information, apply it to your situations, and maybe get your clients to uh, think differently and, and maybe do something new. So, yeah, so I think like we're going to jump into this first section. Um, it's really all about your behavior. So before you show up to a meeting, um, you know, making sure that your behavior is, you know, very conscientious and deliberate because your tone and your attitude are going to play a massive role in how open the client is um, to doing something new or thinking differently. If you approach it right, your client is going to trust you even more by the end of it. And if you mess it up, you're probably going to lose some credibility and you're probably not going to get your client to, to kind of come around on this. So, um, Brandon, why don't you kick us off with uh, Never Spoil the Difference? Yeah, so uh, all the insights here on your behavior, moving into changing how clients think, comes from a really insightful book that I read. It came out a couple of years ago called Never Split the Difference. The idea, this is one of the best written books that I've ever read. And it comes from, like all the insights come from an FBI hostage negotiator. So the book's really fun, like sprinkled with like these really intense stories of like, kidnappings and bank heists and all this stuff. And then like you transition right back into the learning, back into the story. So it's a really fun read. I highly recommend it. If you want to improve your communication skills moving into this next year, uh, it should be at the top of your list. And so I'm going to share a couple high level principles from the book. Obviously I can't cover everything that was, you know, is in a, you know, a couple hundred page book in five or 10 minutes here, but I want to give a couple actionable tips that people can take, start to use now, and hopefully tease the book enough that uh, you'll also want to go read the book and learn some more. So the first principle here, and maybe the big message from the book, um, when you're trying to change how someone thinks, when you're trying to communicate with clients, your main goal is to diffuse their resistance, right? Because if they know you're trying to get them to do something different, that's going to require effort, change how they think, do something that maybe right now they don't agree with. There's going to defensive. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't want to be playing defense. You don't want them to feel like you're on different sides of the table. You want them to always feel like you're on the same side. And if there's any attitude that you take into these client conversations, it's that to make sure that they, you want to make them feel like you're aligned on your goals and you're both walking together somewhere instead of you trying to like push them or drag them somewhere. Yeah, I think that's like really, really helpful because like it's never us versus them. We're all trying to work towards the same thing. Maybe we're trying to reach the annual revenue target. Maybe we're trying to, you know, innovate within whatever, but like we should all be aligned. And it sounds kind of no duh, but sometimes we, we kind of forget that. 
I think it's you know important that in this process, even though we are all on the same side, uh, it's okay to disagree and it's okay to challenge them. Doing it in a way that's you know lighthearted or happy or you know that gives them a, a gracious out, you know, is probably a good way to do it. But um, just because we're on the same side doesn't mean that we can't have differing opinions and perspectives. But you know, important for us to make sure that we always have that right attitude going in. Yeah, and the way that Chris Voss talks about this and never split the difference, he talks about there are a couple different voices you can use when you're talking the way like you inflect your voice the pitch and uh the key here is always be like lighthearted and happy in your attitude always be smiling because when you talk even if someone can't see you they can hear your smile um cool things my mom taught me and then <laughs> shout out mom if you're listening you're not um <laughs> and then um you know you want to make sure that you're lighthearted even if it's you know i'm nudging you i'm trying to challenge some of your beliefs if i'm doing that in a friendly manner you're going to be much more open and it's not uh, that's going to disarm you. It's going to lower your resistance, which all these tactics are meant to do to lower someone else's resistance. So they're more open to new ideas or, you know, not killing the hostages, yeah. um, which in this case would be like pulling that spend or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll get to more of this, but you want to say the things that they're already thinking in their head. Okay. You want your voice to sound like their own. You want them to say, how did, how did he know that? Or how did she know that? How do they know that's what I'm thinking or what I'm going through? Because when people have those moments, you feel like you're on the same page, you're on the same team. And so you want to try to pair it back to them, like pains, challenges, the things they're fe feeling going through and making sure they feel heard and understood, right? This is all sounds really basic, but it's, I think it's a lot, like a lot of things, it's simple, but difficult, right? It's not hard to understand, but you get in the moment, right? Like the science of this isn't very complex, right. but then the art of it, the actual doing it when you're in a live situation gets a lot harder. Yeah. There's the old expression, no one cares what you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And a client isn't going to really care what you have to say to them until they know that like you're aligned with them and their goals and like that you understand what they're trying to achieve. And that'll just kind of like smooth everything else, you know, from that point on. Yeah. So I'm going to share two specific tactics that Chris breaks down in the book. The first is called tactical empathy. So the name of this chapter in the book is called don't feel their pain, label it. So he says that empathy isn't just about, you know, what we normally would think of as sympathy, like feeling what someone else has feel, but it's about explicitly calling that out. So you're using a phrase like it sounds like, and then trying to label what they're going through. So the idea here is that when you do this effectively, you want to get them to open up more, talk about more of what they're feeling and whatever is blocking their thinking, right? Because then you start to see more than just the tip of the iceberg. You start to understand more of why they're resisting. They actually lower their resistance in this process. So let's give an example on this. Like Scott, let's say a client is frustrated with the way a campaign is going. You've heard this a thousand times. Like what's something this could, like what would this sound like from a client? Uh, you know, agency, you know, we launched about like, five almost six weeks ago and yeah performance is like getting better but like we're still way above our weekly cpa and we're not getting enough weekly sales like i'm i'm worried that this campaign isn't going to hit goals gotcha yeah so then i would insert some tactical empathy and you might say something like yeah it sounds like you were expecting this campaign to be doing some different things than it is right now yeah or faster you might do another label there right. okay like it sounds like you know, you're getting some pressure to keep the CPA below that number and it's not there right now. And that's causing you some stress. Yeah. Right. And then like, I guess like hearing that, how does that make the client feel? I guess like you being in the client's shoes. Yeah. It makes 
it makes it feel like, oh, okay, this person understands why I feel this way. They understand, maybe understand the constraints or the pressure that I'm under, that maybe yeah. I have a boss that's asking me for this, that the CMO is asking me for this, or you know, maybe there's a CFO who sees advertising <laughs> as an expense and is like, hey, man, where's, where's that money? You went straight to worst case. <laughs> hey, I, it's in reality. <laughs> yeah. So after you've done this and like you've used tactical empathy to put yourself on the same side of the table, like... Tactical empathy is not enough to alone to solve this problem. Um, the next specific tactic, and there's a whole list of these in the book, but the next thing you can do is what's called go for no. So instead of you know, having a succession of trying to someone say yes to small things, so they'll say yes to the big thing, which actually doesn't work, right. you try to get them to say no because it puts them in control, it makes them feel safe, okay. and it lets them open up even more, lowers that resistance. So don't just tell them the new ideas you want them to adopt. Like you want them to come up with them. You want them to make them feel like it's their own idea. Right. Right. Yeah. So something else that, that works here is like structured choices. Mm -hmm. And so, hey, client, would you feel like this is going to be more helpful or this is more helpful? Yeah. Is Does this feel like it's aligned or does this one feel like it's aligned? And, and giving some degree of control, they can say no to certain things. And you know through that process of having them say no, you can begin to learn a little bit more like what they're prioritizing or better understand how they're thinking. Yeah. And so I think a good example for this, like the example we were using before, we're like four or five weeks into a flight. You might say like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense. Like we're not really on targets. Do you think we should just go ahead and turn this channel off then? And you kind of have to like make that risk. You want to kind of engineer these questions so that you're going to prompt a no, right. but you don't want to walk the line of it just being too obvious. Like, well, of course not. Right. But like a question like that, the client's probably going to be like, well, no, there's a reason we did this test. Right. And then, then that gives you the opening to say like, okay, great. Like, so, you know, I agree. Like it's probably isn't the time to shut this off what are some things you think we could do to change this? And then you start asking those questions, like basically managing them right. to get to that solution, maybe doing like a little kind of like Socratic questioning there. Yeah, definitely. Um, although I will say on my agency days, there certainly were clients who after two weeks were like, yeah, no, cancel the channel, cancel it. Uh, for anybody who's here, if you have a story about how your client canceled something after like two weeks or three weeks, uh, put that in the chat. I would love to, love to hear that story. Yeah. So those are like the quick tactical tips I'll give from Never Split the Difference. If everyone wants us to do like a full episode on this stuff, uh, I'm happy to, you know, do some more prep and really lay out like more of these tactics that you can use in communication. But if you, once again, I'll say like, if you're looking to level up your communication skills, I highly recommend the book, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. So that's the piece around behavior. Um, now we're going to get into, you know, more helpful frameworks, more ways you can structure and introduce these new ideas so they're most likely to be accepted um, now that you've got people open to accepting new ideas. Yeah, this process of structuring information really helps to paint the picture. And you know, as I've matured in my career, the one of the things that like continues to stick out to me is that the importance of the sequence of information and the story that you tell with that information is really influential on the outcome of that conversation. So much how we started by saying, look, we're all on the same team. We're all like working towards the same goals. The first step in this framework is to explain or state the current state of affairs. So this is again, just making sure that everyone's on the same page with where we're at today. 
Oftentimes this is overlooked because we just assume, oh, well, I know what the client says or wants or whatever else. But what ends up happening is if this gets skipped over down the line, we might disagree on a point. We might not be seeing eye to eye on something. And it's oftentimes just because we haven't laid the groundwork to make sure that we truly understand everything that's currently happening. So a couple of like good questions to ask on this are like, what are we currently doing? Why do we do things this way? Like what was decided in the past? You know, even if you see a process or something that looks, you know, cattywampus, chances are there was a reason at some point in time for why it was done that way. It could have been for time sake or efficiency or free or whatever. And then also asking the questions like, are there any limitations or considerations that we should be aware of? And by getting this all out on the table, we can make sure that everyone is building the house on the same foundation. And we're not going to be, you know, misunderstanding the current situation. Um, this will kind of just help air some of this stuff. Uh, and it kind of naturally leads into the second step of this. Why the current state isn't okay. Why do we need to change something? And so if you do a good job in laying the current state, probably naturally pain points are going to start coming up. Oh, well, yes, we did it this way, but it's actually really hard because it causes Joe and Sally a lot of work. Or this is actually, we do it this way, it's not a great process because it takes too long. And so you'll really start to get to the heart of like what change needs to happen. Yeah. Now there are like three major change scenarios. Um, this is there's there's more than this, but like most situations are going to fall into these three. The first is there's an incremental improvement. We have a current process or current thing that we're doing, and we want to make an incremental improvement. Maybe you're switching platform A for platform B. Maybe you are changing who's the owner of a specific task, but it's like a small incremental improvement to an existing process. Um, second is when there's a, an issue to be fixed. So this could be that you know you have to say, hey client, look, you've been working off of Google Analytics and last click. We're spending 30% of our uh, budget this year in video and CTV. Like we cannot continue to use Google Analytics because it's never gonna give us the insights that we need. So we have to fix and update our way of thinking and our way of doing things. And then the third main bucket is doing something new. So, hey, client, you've been spending on search and social for a number of years. We need to get you into programmatic. Or, hey, you've been really resistant to CTV, but here we need to do this new thing. Or, client, you've got to a size where you actually do need a layer of attribution, a CDP. And so introducing something new there. So these are like the three kind of main scenarios. And each of them have their own like nuances and like different ways of approaching. We won't get fully into that today, but you know, with this current state of affairs, it's important to like really highlight why this is painful, why this is inefficient, and like what things can't be done or unlocked without some degree of change. Yeah, I think another interesting thing when you're bringing up like what's not okay, or you're doing kind of this discovery process of what's going on, uh, you know, good questions to ask might be things like, how do you feel things are going or how's that going for you or asking like if there's something you want to bring up that you've noticed is maybe something that's not working so like hey i've noticed this what do you think about it and getting them to state that back or kind of like own that idea themselves right yeah um all right so up to this point step number one is lay out what's the current state of affairs number two explain why the current situation is not okay 
And so the next step is to explain what makes a better state. What is a better solution? Now, this is the moment where it's really easy to get emotional because maybe like you really are passionate about this thing or maybe like this change that you're proposing causes you a lot of heartache and grief and like this change that you're proposing is gonna be a lot easier. So the, the most important thing here is to like stay objective. If you've done a good job of saying this is the current state, this is why it's not okay, then you wanna say, okay, well in a perfect world, if we could have whatever we want, the ideal solution is this. And you wanna kind of paint this future vision absent of a specific recommendation. So the reason why you wanna do this is because it lends credibility to you and your thought process. Because instead of the client feeling like, oh, well, yeah, they're just trying to shove this one particular solution down my throat, or they're trying to get me to think about things differently, they're saying, oh, well, I guess in an ideal world, this is how it would be, this is how it would work. And so when you land on your ultimate solution, you've, you're picking the tool or the option or the path that delivers on that ideal state. And so it just helps to like take some of like the personal, I feel like I'm being pushed or maybe this isn't the right recommendation. And it just really helps the client think about like, okay, well, I could have anything, what would that look like? Yeah, this is exactly what I was going to say. Before we start describing what makes a better state, we need to understand what better is. Because in our seat as like the media buyer or the agency person on the call, like what better for you, your priorities might be very different from that person, right? You might be purely performance oriented, or you know, you might have some other motivation on what better looks like. And that might be like maybe a tier two or tier three for the person you're talking to. Right. So making sure you really understand what are their motivations and what are the things they really care about and then align whatever change you want to sell them on or however you want to change their thinking, align it with that thing that they care about. Yeah, exactly. So let's use two quick, really, really quick examples. A way to not approach this would be to say, hey client, we need to add two staff so we can do more creative variations. Yeah. You're just saying what you want or what you need. And so the way to follow this framework is to say, well, look, more creative testing leads to better conversion rates. And if we increase the speed of optimizations and the number of creatives that we have in market at any given time, we can improve faster. And so therefore, we think adding two staff, one to do optimization, one to do creative, will allow us to do this. And suddenly you've taken this recommendation, which the, let's be real, the client could easily look at that and be like, no, you just wanna add two more billable bodies to my <laughs> retainer, like, no, thank you. Versus explaining, oh, well, look, the better state is that we can optimize more, we have more creatives, we have more learnings, and so the right solution for this is two staff. Now the reality is there are multiple solutions. You could get a dynamic creative tool, you could add these bodies, and so you'll need to um, kind of support that. Um, another example here is don't say something like, we need to set, test CTV this year. That sounds just very selfish, like, oh, okay, you want to capture more budget for me. That's great. Right. So like, tell me how it's going to do what I care about. Why, right. why does CTV matter to me? So CTV is an awareness channel, and that can help us reach cord cutters and cord nevers. 
And so there's a gap in our plan, whether it's a traditional or digital plan, and adding CTV will let more people know about our product, so our channels like remarketing will be more effective. Mm -hmm. Now suddenly you've explained how you need an awareness channel, and then you can you know, add CTV as the eventual solution for that. So you're describing this better state, be objective, explain, you know, paint the vision of what um, the, the ideal solution or a better solution would look like, um, and then make sure that you're being objective um, throughout that process. So before you jump into the next step, do you think it'd be useful to get some consensus on, hey, it sounds like, or like, I would recommend this, my, you know, objective, whatever reasoning around this is like, this is the thing that's going to improve this situation. Do you think it's worthwhile to get some consensus? Like, would you agree with that? Do you think that, or is this more like you're both building that idea together? Um, yeah. So I think this is where like for anybody who does any degree of sales, it's so easy to become salesy. And I love you, Brandon, but that was such a sales. <laughs> um, so look, if you are truly approaching this from the lens of, look, client, we're on the same team. We're working towards the same goals. Like this should just naturally just be a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so as you're saying, hey, look, like the ideal state is that we can optimize more frequently and that we have more creative versions, the client should have an opinion on this, right? If they don't feel defensive, they should be like, yeah, you know, well, look, actually a couple of years ago, we tried to do more creatives and this was the problem. Or, well, look, I think that sounds good in theory, but here are some challenges and constraints that I have. And so this should just naturally be a conversation. And so hopefully don't need to work too hard at like convincing your client about this, but you should make sure that there is consensus at the end of this. So, okay, so client, are we aligned that like we need to improve performance and that creative testing is the path for that? Yes. Cool. Well, look, our proposed solution is this, or we considered these various solutions. This is the one that we think is the best and here's why. Cool. So once you've kind of explained what that ideal state looks like, then you can like start to paint the picture of like what the possible ways of achieving that are. There's very rarely only one way to achieve an outcome. Sometimes like something like awareness, like we need to raise awareness. We need to like do some branding tactics because our lower funnel prospecting just like isn't doing enough anymore. Okay, cool. Well, look, that could be with partnerships. That could be with, you know, something big and splashy. That could be with video. It could be with CTV. And so you now need to bring, uh, how do you move towards that future state? And you're probably not going to achieve future state overnight. Sometimes if you're like switching out of technology or something else, like it could be a little bit more like, cool, actually this one change or this one series of events leads us to that ideal. But like, let's go back to that creative example. So you'd want to paint the picture of how staff is the best solution compared to like a creative technology layer. Or you might say, actually, we actually do need a creative technology layer and we can do that with one staff. And so, you know, in the spirit of objectivity, we're all going to have an agenda, right? We're all pushing the client to think a certain thing, to do a new thing, to add a new channel, to let go of whatever preconceived idea. So like there is going to be one of these solutions that we naturally prefer. But you know, giving the structured choice of like, look, these are the solutions that we see that deliver on this. And this is the one that we think is the best because of this reason. So, you know, all this is like a little bit of a backwards process, right? Normally it's like, hey, client, you should do this. And here's the reason why. It's saying, hey, this is actually the ideal state. These are the possibilities of how to arrive there. And we actually think that this is the best one. It takes a little bit of like pre-planning. Like I think that's probably the biggest thing is you can't just show up and fly by the seat of your pants. It takes a little bit of like pre-planning. You have to map these things out. 
you have to map it out. But what it does is it brings the client along the journey with you. If you're trying to say like, look, Google Analytics isn't good enough. We need to get a third party you know, layer of technology that can help you da 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 da. If you just bring that up, the client's gonna like probably be closed off. They're gonna be like, that sounds really expensive. But if you've explained, look, the problem is that we are spending n number of dollars, 70% of our budget on things that can't be measured. And it looks like this and it does like this and it works like this. And this is why we blah, 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 blah. And so look, we think you need to invest a couple hundred thousand dollars. The brand's gonna be like, ah, oh, Damn, well, it's a lot of money, but like, yeah, I now understand. And so like bringing that client along the journey and telling that story, you know, they'll understand how you arrived at that proposed solution. And then they honestly just trust you a lot more because they see the thinking that has gone into this. And um, you know, even if they maybe have a different POV or they have different constraints, like they know that you didn't just zoom straight to the solution that's best for you, that you've truly thought about them and their needs. All right, so I think the last part here under this framework is to understand the constraints that your client is working under. You know, even if the person that you're talking to is on board, like you might have some other hurdles. I worked with a client, it was a multi-billion dollar client, I will say that. And there was some really weird stuff. Like we could show and like that there was a strategy that was better, that was aligned with their goals, that would help them achieve X, Y, and Z things, whatever. And we couldn't figure out why our recommendation just like kept on going nowhere. We would talk to our client contact and we would like, they'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, uh-huh, I understand it. And then it like seemed like nobody else on the marketing team ever heard of it. Or they did and they were like, oh, well, yeah. And like, so it took a lot of digging, but what we found out is that the marketers were comped on like a cost per click. And the solution that we were proposing, while it was the right solution, the thing that was actually gonna drive better results for them, it was gonna screw with their cost per click. And they got comped on cost per click go down, here's your bonus, every quarter. And so they were not incentivized to make structural changes that would make them miss their CPC goals. And so this is like really like an interesting use case because it, just by understanding that we could all of a sudden be like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, now you have to think about, you can't just think about what's the best strategy in that case to drive the most top line revenue, the most efficient revenue, the best CPA. You have to think about how do I deliver those results while maintaining low CPC. Because that's a different game and that limits the recommendations you can make. It does. I mean, the other solution is just go to the CMO and tell the CMO that this is the right thing. And You've set up your incentive structures wrong yeah. and like you need to change this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a whole different thing. Um, but it's important to understand like your, your client, what are their personal goals? What are they trying to achieve? Are they, you know, hungry and they're looking to go from senior manager to director? Are they a director looking to go to VP? Are they, you know, comped on a quarterly cost per click? And so just by understanding those constraints, like you'll be able to navigate this conversation so much more effectively. The other really big thing that we see is like, what is the decision-making process? Because if your main client contact is a marketing manager or even like a marketing director, there might be some really convoluted process between like the VP and the CMO and the board. And so you might be saying, hey, you need to spend X number of dollars on this thing. Well, if there's a seven layer process 
for how things get approved and people need umpteen things, right? Like that's gonna shape how you approach this, the timelines that you propose things on. And it might change ultimately, like if you have this meeting with the, let's say your day-to-day -day client contact, you might then work with them and say, hey, look, if you're aligned with this, let's figure out how to corral everybody else and let's bring everybody else along on this journey. Mm -hmm. So this is another one of those, like we're all on the same team, like you and your client, if you are aligned on this new way of thinking or this new thing to do, then if there are other stakeholders to get on board, how do, hey, client, how do we work really closely so we can get the rest of your organization on board? And they're gonna have the inside baseball of like, okay, well, the CMO cares about numbers or the VP of strategy is really big on this thing or they're really going to ask a lot of questions on this and so using them as your ally you know once they've kind of come on board to like get the rest of the organization on board and that really just allows them to be like that internal champion and, and fight for that recommendation all right so i think now we're gonna just open up for questions any questions people have on leveling up client thinking 2023 what are the specific things you want your clients to think differently about, anything that we mentioned that maybe we want more detail around. And while we're waiting for questions to roll in, why don't we go through like a really uh, specific, like common example of how this might show up and kind of talk through what that might look like. Let's do, we have a couple of different scenarios here. Um, let's talk about always prioritizing bottom of the funnel, lower, lower funnel tactics. This um, is probably the most common. This is super common. I actually think that as digital marketing has matured over the last 12 or so years, that there's actually a lot more of an understanding and willingness for people to invest in mid and upper funnel. But look, like let's be real. Like I want to see that post-click ROI in Google Analytics. Like I know that I can just keep throwing more money at remarketing and it's going to like keep delivering a high ROI. And I think it's also like kind of timely because as we start to deepen in this reception recession i'll say um you know the tendency is to cut the brand tactics to cut the upper funnel stuff if it doesn't have a good cost per click or it doesn't have a good cpa you have to kind of like lay the funnel hey client over the last four months you've pulled about 25 percent of your budget and it's all been from upper funnel tactics and what we've seen is that we 10% or 5% decrease in site traffic every month since we've cut. And uh, right now we are, our lower funnel is like still working and it's still at efficient CPA. But look, we have some concerns that if this keeps trending, that we're gonna come to a point where we've captured all that demand. And you know, like there's maybe a little bit more room to scale and retargeting, but like, look, we, we can't just keep doing these tactics. At some point, we're gonna hit diminishing returns. Right, and we're gonna you know, run out of net new users to be able to you know, remarket to. And I think another, maybe a different angle, like when I was back in the days when I like salesperson was running a PPC campaign, the other way I saw this is we said like, okay, we wanna scale more, we wanna get more leads, and we would put more dollars into Google, and like our CPA, our CAC kept going up. And so that's another moment where like maybe the current is not okay. It's like, hey, we turned off brand and site traffic is down. Or it's like, hey, like we're putting more money into bottom funnel tactics and they're getting less efficient. Right, exactly. So painting that picture of like what's happening, what you're seeing, and then say, okay, well, objectively, client, well, what makes a better state? Well, not running out of new users to remarket. Um, maintaining or growing, ideally, the total number of site traffic and site users that are coming to you know every month, um, 
And yeah, look, ideally, like this would bring in net new customers for us, and it would, you know, any tactic that we add would work together with our lower funnel yeah. tactics. And overall, like we're seeing just more efficient cost purse. Right, exactly. Okay, so how do we move to a better state? Well, client, you had cut this tactic that was middle of the funnel, and it was maybe a little bit. It was you know thirty percent higher than our CPA goal, but we cut it anyways. Well, look, that actually accounted for a large amount of site traffic. So we think that that would be a really good thing to reinstate because it's going to increase the total number of users. It reaches an incremental audience and allows us to you know, find more users who are interested in our product or service. Yeah, we should test into this. We think that we should add this back at X number of dollars. And part of this is like, you know, kind of like with a plan. Cool, we're gonna add in this new tactic at $10,000 a month and we're gonna run it for two months. And here's how we're gonna measure if this actually gets us to that better state. We're gonna look at total site traffic, we're gonna look at cost purse, right? And kind of laddering all this up to that current state and what makes a better state. And then, you know, understanding the constraints. The client might say, look, look, agency, the reason why we cut 25% of our budget is because we don't have any budget. So if you wanna pay for this, where do you take it from? How do we get this? And so that's when you have to get creative about where you're gonna pull that those dollars from or how you're going to, um, you know, otherwise convince the organization to pay for this. Yeah, awesome. So we've got some questions in here. So from Jordan, uh, he's like the you know big things you want your clients to think about differently, progress and infrastructure limitations, political, contractual, tech infrastructure should always be discussed early. I agree with that. Um, and then talking about like in the current conditions of the business, um, what are small things we want to improve? Sometimes the big picture isn't realistic, realistic at a moment for a client and folks on incremental improvement. Uh, will you know make them still feel like the ball is moving, make them trust you more? Um, yeah, I guess like how how do you know when to focus like on an incremental or more like transformational change? I know you you said like you outlined this in the different uh, like types of change, but how do you know when's the right one to bring to the client? Yeah, uh, this is a really good question. So I'm a big believer in incremental improvements are usually the way to go about things. Because if you can dial in something 2% here, 3% there, 5% here, right? Over the course of a couple of months, you have all these compound gains that result in massive improvements. So if your client is in love with Google Analytics and they're running programmatic tactics that can't really be effectively shown, well, you don't need to say, hey, ditch Google Analytics, get a whole new web analytics. Say, well, okay, well, what if we did this thing that would actually just give us better visibility into programmatics impact? And it would work like this, right? An incremental improvement in that regard. Look, but sometimes you just gotta like blow it up and start over. And I wish that there was like a really clear cut guide on how to do that. But I would say like, if you're, if you go through this process by yourself of what is, what makes an ideal state, how do we move towards that state? If there's kind of like a, look, if we don't do at least this amount, it's going to be ineffective. That's a really good way to understand if you're going to be recommending an incremental change or a, you know, transformation. You know, for example, with programmatic, for example, in post-click, like you're probably not going to run into a situation where like the solution is to get a third-party measurement tech, right? You can't just be like, oh, well, let's like, 
dial in Google Analytics a little bit better, make an incremental change, like, no, like this actually needs to be a transformation of how we think about the data. But if you're going to be introducing a new media tactic like CTV, you can actually take an incremental and say, hey, look, we want to test it. It's going to look like this. Here's a small test. Here's how we're going to tell you if it worked or not. And then if it works, here's how we're going to step that up. Here's how we're going to do a little bit more. We're going to keep testing these incremental phases. And so if you're going to say, hey, let's add digital video. And if it works, we're going to keep allocating 10% more for the first six months. And then at month number seven, we're actually going to introduce a second tactic, right? Now, if you do a couple of these incremental changes over the course of 12 months, well, 12 months later, you've actually done a transformation. You are going to have made significant changes and, and have learnings along the way to kind of support and back up all of the you know, different recommendations and, and things that you've you know, figured out in the course of testing. Yeah. So um, another question here is how to get clients to start thinking beyond like Google Analytics or post-click for clients who think that like Google Analytics is good enough or that, you know, it, it tells the full story. Uh, all right. Well, I know I spent a lot of time talking about make sure you're on the same page with your clients, not us versus them. Google Analytics is sufficient in two scenarios. One, you are spending less than a million dollars a year and only on Facebook and Google. Scenario number two is if you spend every single advertising dollar inside of the Google ecosystem. So search, YouTube, display, DV360. You don't buy anything else anywhere else. Those are the only two instances where Google Analytics is sufficient. Yeah, because in that second, like data-driven attribution within Google Analytics should be picking everything up and like, right, you're good to go. <laughs> right, right. So if a client says Google Analytics is sufficient and they're running on like Trade Desk and CTV and everything else, then... Well, they're just wrong, but you can't, <laughs> right? How you approach this matters. So look, I think part so, of this is just like opening their mind into what's possible. And I think part of this is like painting the negative space. Okay, client, we're running digital video and we're running paid search and we're running social. Client, have you ever wondered how many people see our digital video and then later come in through paid search? Oh yeah, I wonder that all the time. Okay, Google Analytics is not possible. It's not, it's not gonna show you what you need to know. Okay, well, why not? Well, because people don't click on videos. Yeah. What, when was the last time you clicked on a video? I don't know. Like when, like on the few sites I browse that allow like a digital video, this is like, you know, I've never scanned a QR code on Hulu or like I don't click on those when it gives me the option. And either way, the account's under my wife's name, so. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, in this scenario, you're kind of bringing the client along, helping them to acknowledge like, oh yeah, well, I don't click on video. Why yeah. would somebody else click on the video? Right? We're all humans at the end of the day. If Google Analytics isn't sufficient, you know, how important is it to answer this question? The question of, do people see digital video and paid search? If the answer is not very important, then okay, well, maybe we don't need to. But, okay, well, client, so if I could tell you, client, that of the million impressions that we spent, that we delivered, that 600,000 went before paid search and 400,000 were incremental, like, this is what we could do with that information. Here's how we could take that and do something more, level up our thinking. Or, hey, if we found out that video plus search converts five times higher than video by itself, don't you think it'd be good for us to know that and be able to optimize? And so like part of this is painting that future vision and helping them to, to understand like what capabilities and data can be available to them um, that's not gonna be found in Google Analytics.
Thanks so much for listening. Oh, and if you're looking for a better way to prove that your campaigns are working and find the best ways to optimize spend, we invented bimodal attribution so you can see exactly how ad spend turns into results and make more of your campaigns. You can learn more about PMA at mintmeasure.com. See you next time.